Hello and welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. The Swan Song Project is a charity that helps people facing the end of their lives or dealing with a bereavement to write and record their own original songs. We're about celebrating lives, making memories and leaving legacies. If you'd like to find out more about the charity, ways you might support, or if you or someone you know might be interested in writing a song with us, you can check out our website, which is swansongproject.co.uk. The podcast you're about to listen to features a songwriter and we talk about one of their songs they share with us a songwriting tip and they also share with us a song that's meaningful to them relating to bereavement in some way. This episode features Cleve Freckleton, also known as Reverend Chunky, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, today I'm here with Reverend Chunky, Mr. Cleve Freckleton himself. Thanks for joining me, Cleve. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. We're looking forward to talking to you. Um, if people have seen these One Song Project podcasts before, listen to them, you'll know we do them in three parts. First, we're going to have one of my guest songs. We'll talk a little bit about how they wrote that. Section two, Cleve's going to share with us a songwriting tip. It might be useful for the songwriters. And then section three, we're going to talk about a song that's meaningful to Cleve in some way relating to bereavement. So uh, I'll ask you to introduce your song for us now, please, Cleve. Well, the song uh, is called uh, Better Times. Um, I wrote that back in... Um, I think it was 1999 possibly I think uh, maybe 98 somewhere around that period um, recorded it in the early 2000s um, the, the, uh, you, the story behind the song was I'd really had, had come through a, a bit of a period in the 90s where my background was obviously connected to, to church and gospel music and I used to be a church minister and I'd kind of got to a, a kind of a I wouldn't say a crisis of faith in, in the sense of believing, but realizing that there had to be more to who I was and what I was doing. And music had always played a huge part in my life. But as a writer, I'd always written from a gospel music perspective. So the sort of songs that you would hear on, on gospel albums and the themes that you would hear. And so some of those themes are common to secular music as, as all music has, has come and bonds. But with an idea that there was very much faith behind those types of lyrics. Um, when I went through the, ch the, the, the changes, uh, particularly coming away from, from my gospel roots, um, and I started to play with a blues band in the 90s, and I think it was during this time I, I was struggling to write because I, I, I needed new experiences to write about. And the, the, the first period of my life the first 30 years of my life have been totally connected to church so you imagine this period between being 30 and 40 i'm rediscovering everything at this point and it was uh that song and a couple others that i had written uh, that were the first of me expressing my hope for something different um hence the title of the song better times uh it starts out with a kind of a a feeling of almost being lost. I mean, you know, I've been working in the heat, praying hard for the rain to come. So, you know, there's this sense of being ostracized away from things. But the, the chorus uh, states, I'm looking for a brand new day, you know, but I've got to change my thoughts and change the things that I say. So I had to develop a, a new cleave in this period to be able to write new songs. Otherwise I would only write the old mm. songs and I was no longer in that, in that place. Brilliant. Yes, let's hear it now. This is Better Times by, is it by Cleve Freckleton or is it by Reverend Chunky? It's, it's, by, it's by Reverend <laughs> Chunky. Written by Cleve Freckleton, but sung by Reverend Chunky. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've been working in the heat Praying hard for the rain to come Freaking out in my mind wondering when It will all be done Dark clouds up ahead indicating That it's time to go But I ain't got the juice to move God, I feel so low But I'm looking for a brand new Come on, y'all. Say it 
Okay, brilliant. That was Better Times by Reverend Chunky. Yeah, it's a great track. Your voice reminded me a lot of um, Taj Mahal on it. You know Taj Mahal, great blues singer? I was actually a huge fan of his. Um, I, I should say, I, I am a huge fan of his. Um, the blues band I used to play in, um, we used to play one of his songs, uh, Strut. Um, <laughs> and and, and I, I always loved that song. I loved the way it felt, you know, and I, I didn't really know, again, this crazy thing, Bear in mind, coming from gospel music, my knowledge of of music outside of that sphere was limited to, a, to to popular music because that's what I would hear on the airwaves. It wasn't until maybe I was, I think I started to get to 17, 18, go to record shops and I'd discover, you know, some of these other artists or I'd see the name of a musician who I knew played with one eyes, but then he might have his own album and it kind of, you know, it opened up the world and Taj Mahal, was one of those artists. It was a bit later I came into it, but yeah, just um, if an influence is there, I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. To be honest with yeah, you, because definitely. he's definitely one of my heroes. Man. Yeah, he's, he's one of my he's one of my favourite singers as well in the world. So it's, yeah. it's definitely meant as a compliment. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful song, and I was really interested in what you were saying about. So the few things came to mind. You, what you were saying about the song is that that idea of being, if you write in a certain genre, having to write in a certain way. Um, it's kind of very common, isn't it? And I had the same when I first started writing blues songs. It's like, right, if you want to write a blues song, you have to write yeah. about these things. And then it is interesting when you start exploring other areas. Um, the question I was going to ask you about it is, and the other thing that I was thinking about is having a song where the song's about that looking in a way. Yeah, like you were saying, quite some of those lyrics where like that's okay as well. It's not like you have to be like, right, I don't know what to write about. So I won't write any songs till I find one. You can write a song about that journey. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's that's how I think um, albums can are easily constructed because if you if you take an album as a concept, I, I oddly enough I've just started recently um, 
investing in in writing a, an album a, a little bit about a journey but really just been in this in this kind of in the last 20 years because truthfully like i said in the first 30 there was a different story taking place and i could you know there were songs that i've written in that period that that won competitions in you know in that in those genres and stuff um i would go and see artists um great gospel, gospel artists, but some of these crossed over into, into pop music. So there was always a little bit of, um, what am I allowed to write about? Mm. You know, what am I allowed to say? And I know in gospel music, um, particularly in the older days, the, the old folks were a bit strict about, you know, they, they were actually strict about the type of music in terms of the genre itself. Um, considering I come from a, a, a Caribbean and West Indian background, reggae music was frowned on in church oh, well. because because it was seen as that's a part of the devil's deal you know what I mean? it's, like, <laughs> it's like blues you know it's like yeah. all, all robert johnson things you know, you know like, give your soul to the devil if you don't play reggae music so <laughs> i i i knew there was conflict and I, but i was aware of this um earlier from artists in america the likes of uh, uh aretha franklin sam cook al green you know, these artists who had great gospel pedigree, um, but had to kind of withstand the, the you know, the organization and the, and the establishment mm. to, to be able to, to write their journey. And some of them continued to write their journey inside of pop music too, which is, to me, is totally acceptable. It was just, I think, I was definitely undergoing a change in what I think I, I, I wanted to, I felt like I needed to be more valid um, to 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 the to a new audience and for many years and still now i sing a lot of covers not necessarily because i don't have my own songs but actually i find what i want to say inside of those covers but there are times specifically i want to say something you know associated to me and that song better times was definitely me making a point about I, i've been over here and and it was and it, you know and then i'm on this journey it's a bit bit dismal it's a bit you know i feel like i'm in a desert i've lost my sense of direction you know all those things but but the chorus like i said was was an anthem of hope you know and so it's really saying look actually I, i'm i can't wait for this change to be over i can't wait to you know to get this new time this new day better times are on their way to me and that optimism which is still a part of faith in a in a kind of a tied up way, you know, because if you ask any um, Christian about, you know, how they, how they see what lies in front of them, the, the word, you know, optimism, hope and faith will come into that conversation. But I, I saw it the same way for me. I wanted, I wanted to be able to see that optimism and faith. And although I wasn't completely there yet, I still had enough faith in me to believe that I could be. Mm. It feels like it's a very, um, Relevant song for the times as well at the moment, you know, with everything going on. That's a message people need, isn't it? Is hope is everything. Yeah, hope is everything. Believing, you know what, there are, there are, for lots of different reasons, we find ourselves in different situations. And, and our approach to it normally determines kind of the outcome to a huge degree. So if I walk into a situation with a defeatist uh, mind or mindset, the odds are the result's going to be like that too, right? Now, I'm not saying this, you know, it's probably, I don't want to sound too twee and just talk about positive thinking, although I do actually believe in that. Um, but it's more the idea of an approach to something. So I've always, I'm a, I'm a huge sports fan. 
And I'm always curious when, when an underdog beats a really big favourite, because, uh, and I'll, you know, just without kind of going too far from this, I was watching football over the weekend and I, the last two weeks, and I've seen some ridiculous scores of teams who were supposedly the lower teams beating these higher teams. And I've always kind of wondered about that. Big cup competitions over the years, they, they call them giant killers, don't they? All these teams beat that team. But what I do realise is quite often the mindset that the lower team will go in is they will often tell themselves, maybe we can't match them this other team for their skills and everything else, but we can work our socks off continually. And if that team who is the favourite team, who has all them skills but doesn't work as hard, the odds are you're setting yourself for an upset. That's how those things happen. They get turned around. And it's the mindset of the of, of the teams that determine that result. It's not that like, oh, one team's better than another. You know, we can argue that all day. But the truth is, to get that result, somebody's gone in there and gone, I don't care about how they think. I'm going to go in there and make, a, and make a change. And I think in this light, in the light of all that we're facing, and then this is huge, I am a true believer in this, that the way, uh, the way we approach things mentally, uh, the way we approach one another mentally, the things we have to say to one another, everyone's wearing a mask, but that doesn't mean I don't have to wear a smile, mm. right? So even beneath my mask, I'm smiling. You can see a smile in someone's mask. eyes as well, can't you? Oh, all the time. And you yeah. know that. You know yeah. that. Well, you know, it's great. But it's the idea that, you know, that there's, there's a thing cut off and all of a sudden it's like, well, you're separated from your fellow human. I actually say to them, you know what, man? I can see, I see love in someone's eyes anyway, you know? Uh, even though I was just coming out of the train station and a lady said, excuse me. The way she said, excuse me, was so warm. It was just, you know, it didn't matter whether she had a mask on or not. It was just, that's us being the best of humans that we can be. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful sentiment. I really like that. Um, you can uh, you still smile under the mask. Yeah. Um, I've got a question, which is a bit of a weird question, um, but we're going to what we're talking about with the song and that journey of you searching for this different thing with the music and things. Did you, did, you, did you find it and could you describe what it is in a way? One of the things I was thinking about, I know like your obviously what the viewers might not know Cleves, there's a lot of community music and you do a lot of busking and I know that something just the conversation we were having before we started recording how important using music to connect with people is to you um and like I was just thinking is that do you feel it like, was there a way you describe it going from that the gospel to where it was you got to and now how it kind of amalgamates in what you do yeah I mean I I, I suppose to 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 get you to understand how the transition took place. So I, I was actually going through a personal uh, trauma. I was going through a divorce at the, at the time. And I just, I'd been living in America and working for the church, uh, church organization. I was a church minister and, and then what they call a rotor. So I would be sent to different churches. Like if, if, if you were going on holiday, I'd replace me two weeks till he came back, you know, it's that kind of thing. So I, w I was doing that all over, and on one side, this was an incredible experience. I was in a in a in a country where the roots of the gospel music I I had been listening to had come from. So I was living a dream in so many ways. I was surrounded by uh, Hammond organs and grand pianos and Fender <laughs> things. Like it was like honestly, it was like a real dream on one side of it. On the other side, going through this personal trauma. You know why I say to people is no matter how beautiful the world seems, if you're going through something, it seems a dark world. And um, at that time, I was struggling. So I, I came back from America in 1993, pretty much feeling like like one dream was was torn to shreds. It was like the end of that journey. And I I was ill-prepared for anything else, if I'm being honest with you. Um, 
uh, I, I'd had my, bear in mind I was brought up in that tradition, so everything I was geared towards, you know, being in that life, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm out in this wilderness, you know, feeling alienated and a bit lost, and, uh, and I had a gig yesterday, which oddly enough ties into what you've asked here, so a band that I used, the, the first musician who I met when I came back from America in 1993, was a guitarist called Wayne Clark, who I met him in the laundrette, right? So I was getting some clothes, and I'd just seen this guy sat there, but what I saw was his guitar. So being a musician, and I, at that time, I was shut away a little bit, but it, it started a conversation, so I spoke to him, and it happened that he was at the music college, um, he was a few years younger than I was, and, and we got talking, and he said, look, there's a group of us, we're all hanging out and stuff, you know, why don't you just come up and just come play some music with us? And that was the first time, this was probably around March. So I got back uh, from America in the end of January. Um, and I think it was towards the end of March or early April. Um, I had this conversation with him and I ended up playing with these guys who eventually became the band that I, that I started working with. And we had a kind of a reunion gig last night. Oh, yesterday <laughs> afternoon, and the conversation was going back through all of that. So, coming to the question you asked me about the changes, when when I started playing with these guys, I think what I realised was I wanted to say something, but I didn't think the world wanted to hear what I used to say. Now, maybe I could be wrong because that's like saying, "Well, gospel music music isn't relevant to a generation," and I'm prepared to say I was wrong, but that's how I felt at the time. Mm. That I needed to be able to say something different. And these guys I was playing with who were brilliant musicians, they were also writing songs as well as we would play covers. So I kind of got involved a little bit in the, in the writing process, a little bit with, with those guys. Um, and on, on our album that we did in 1996, um, I think we had four or five of our own songs on there and some covers and one of the covers i did was a song i learned in gospel music but it was a stevie wonder song called heaven help us all nice. so that song uh i didn't i wouldn't have naturally sang it but when i told one of the guys in the band i knew it they were like yeah man we want you to sing that song <laughs> and I, I think they were encouraging me even when i think about it now still to be me mm. or so whereas i think i was trying to get away from yeah it's like not not throw it away yeah, like, yeah. Like you take take it with you, but add the new stuff to it. Yeah, and that's what that's what I think they were encouraging me to do. And now, when I'm looking back on it, I'm thinking actually, even when I look at the songs I write now, the sort of themes that are in those songs are still connected to gospel music in a huge way. And just because they don't say quote Jesus in them, yeah. you know, it's, they're no less gospel because the word gospel just means good news, right? So yeah. if you ask me if, if you ask about better times or change is going to come or read what you saw, they're all good new songs, you know, which I've written. So I suppose it's looking at it in a less narrow way, mm. because like I said, when I was younger, it was quite the, 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 the kind of parameters were quite narrow for gospel music. This is gospel music, that's not. Whereas as the years went on, people like us in the Reef and Franklin, Sam Green, uh, Al Green, Sam Cook, they began to broaden those, those kind of, you know, barriers and allowed gospel music to come into a mainstream as well as, automatically mainstream filters back into gospel because some of these musicians who I've known and loved 
they will be playing for James Brown one week and then playing for, I don't know, the, the, the Hawkins singers who do Happy Day or oh, Happy Day the next week, you know, mm-hmm. and it was understanding that you could have this role and there need not be a division. But I think as a writer, being able to be clear about what you want to say is necessary. Uh, E-flat is an E-flat, whether you're playing it in jazz, blues, reggae, rock, you know, folk or whatever, yeah? But what you say, to me, is a whole different thing now. You know what I mean? The, the messages there are totally different. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, good, great points, Cleveland. Another th- one thing I was thinking of that with, you know, with gospel, regardless of the, the musicality or the lyrical content of it, there's a feeling of togetherness, which is common in gospel, and it's, it's about that connection with people and bringing people together. And I think that's something what you carry in in all the music you do, we, you know, we, whatever, whatever the song is, the way you perform it has that kind of vibe to it. I think, you know, it's, it's very much like about the connecting people, bringing people together. So I'd say that's, you know, and that's such a strength to have as a performer um, that, you know, bringing people together with it. And I think that's just something in, in the way your, your music works, whatever songs you're playing. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I again talking yesterday with those guys and performing with them. So we've we've been we've not been together in a band for over twenty odd years, but we mm-hmm. we did have a kind of reunion a couple of years ago. Um, but this is the first time we kind of you know we set out. We, we, there were some members who could make it, but there was a fair number of us. I think what I realised um, uh, t- yesterday was that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be not insulting to myself here, but I've always been, I've always been the ringmaster, right? So I, I understood this from my church days was, it didn't matter how intelligent or how clever I was or, you know, how, how brilliant my oratory was. It was actually how people felt that really mattered. What they, that's what would cause them to remember whether it was a good Sunday or not, you know? And I think... I, I began to very early, my, my dad, even though he, he was totally associated with gospel music, he used to love Elvis Presley and Ray Charles. And I know he loved the showman in them. That particularly struck him. I, I knew that. And my dad was actually a showman. The more I think about it now, I learned my music initially, early my music from him playing guitar and playing piano. My dad would go to church and uh, but the way he played, he would draw attention. There was something about the way he do it. And I think, so I've always been aware of, of how much, particularly in, in gospel and, and in, in, I don't know if you've ever seen that film, The Blues Brothers, but there's an incredible scene where <laughs> James Brown's in there, you know, and, you know, and I know, you know, there's people always laughing about it, but I say to them, you know, that's the kind of church I went to. That's what you were like, you know, people somersaulting all over the place and carrying on. But there was a thing about, it was drama and theatre, and I think it's important. Um, there are different ways of, of presenting things. I know some people who were not keen on performance. They're brilliant singers and brilliant musicians, but performing is something else. And there are some people who are terrible musicians and terrible singers, but brilliant performers. You know, what I mean? And it's putting it in a context. I don't think performance... There isn't such a thing as performance art, but I don't think art is performance. I just think some people have the ability to be able to perform in a way. So from being young, that was kind of encouraged in my household, I had musical brothers and sisters. You you competed for a seat at the piano, you know? So you, you're gonna have to come up with something just a little <laughs> bit tasty, you know what I mean? To be able to, yeah, it was the same in church. There, were, there was a plethora of musicians and, and you had to, if you wanted that seat, 
you're going to have to just do work a little bit harder and be a little bit different. So I also realized that the advantage I had of being a quote, a preacher, a church minister, but also being a musician was that I could bring drama and music together mm. in a way that musical theater teaches, you know, teaches kids, you know, you do it this way, do it that way. Well, to me, church was just musical theater anyway, you know, we're out there clapping, having a good time. You know, you, you look at, there's always something to see, always something going on, you know, kind of way. And, and I think I tried, I, I was unsure of it when I stepped away from that arena into the arena I'm kind of in now. But what I have realized is that it's served me everywhere I've gone from, whether I'm busking in the street, it's still the same conversation, or whether uh, I'm running a choir, uh, which is something I love to do, you know, particularly for me, voices are everything. And, you know, the, the fact that this is called a swan song, you know, it's it's the idea that you're asking someone to express, I, you know, I mean, they're expressing it. So for me, yeah, that 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 environment, wherever I am, is something I, 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 I think is always going to be a part of who I am, whether I'm singing a nursery rhyme to a child or as on Friday, I, I buried a dear friend on Friday and, and a, a whether I was singing something, you know, from another genre or another way, it's still the same thing. You communicate it with who you are. That's a really good way of putting it. It's really good awareness to have, I think, of, of your values related to music, whatever music you do. I think it's beautiful. Um, let's move into section two, shall we? This is uh, where I ask my guests to share with us a songwriting tip, like useful for other songwriters. Uh, so what would your tip be for us, Cliff? <laughs> I thought about this. <laughs> I really thought about this one. Because I think, I was thinking, I'm the worst example of anyone giving anyone tips when it comes to songwriting. I have, I have gone through, I've gone through the most barren periods, right, of, of not writing. Not, actually, not because, not because I, I haven't had something to write about. Like I said, truthfully, as a confession, I find everything I have to say in all the songs I hear. So, of course, I write some of you know, write a book. I'm always singing songs because I just think, oh, this, this is beautiful, or oh, I like this word. I, for me, all I can base it on is the experience I've had. So like I said, when I was younger, I, I, when I was tw 13, I wrote a song that won a national competition. Now, I would have said to you that that 13-year-old was a songwriter. That's what I would say to you. When I got into my 30s, I thought, I don't, I can't, I don't even know what to write about. I don't, I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm going to write about. So I would have said to you that at that point, if you'd asked me generally, I'd have said that I wasn't a songwriter. Right? That's what I would have said. Now what I've come to understand is songwriting is, there is very constructive, there are ways that you can constructively write. So some people could write to a plan. Right? Like, I get that. You know, they'll know, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have an intro and a verse and a, and a bridge and a, and a chorus and a middle eight. And, you know, they'll structure it out that way. I, I've never really thought in, in those sort of terms, in those same sort of terms. How, how I generally believe this is that music is inspiration. Um, maybe because of my gospel roots, it was almost like I would, I would wait for a moment. And then whether I felt something or saw something that would inspire me, then, then, then I would begin to write on that basis because it was easy for me to draw on that moment of inspiration. Then if somebody came to me and said, oh, I want you to write a song for this project, I don't know if I would find that easy. I have done that before and I've written with other writers before 
um, which I've quite enjoyed doing because it's you're, you're trading off on different styles mm -hmm. and stuff. But um, for me, it, it was more about if I'd say to anyone is don't don't be afraid if if you find you're going through a period where you're not writing. What I do believe is that inspiration will make its way to you in some way, some shape or some form. And when it comes, you em embrace it. It might only be, quite often, I don't have a song. I have a title before I have a song. Mm. And it's normally a circumstance that's happened. That's made me go, ooh, look at that. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody once who had <laughs> done something quite naughty, but it come back to it. <laughs> Uh, and he, he said to me, he said to me, oh my goodness, can't believe it. Look what I did and look what happened. And straight away, the words, reap what you saw, came to me. And I wrote a song on, on based on his experience with that title. Mm. But it was a moment of inspiration. If he hadn't said to me, look what I did, I wouldn't have been able to write that song. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's what I think. I, I think songwriting can be inspiration. And so don't feel, don't feel bad if, he, if, it is, if you're not prolific. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's completely, it's, it's something I kind of need to remind myself at the moment. I'm going through a bit of a dry spell writing wise. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's okay. You know, I, I mean, I was really, yeah, like, every, everyone's had them. All the greats have had, you know, Dylan's had years where he didn't have to do stuff. It just, it, it's, it's a part of it. Isn't it? And, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great advice, Cleve. Um, and I guess one of the things that, like, I was just thinking when you were saying that is what we said about earlier with your song then of like, sometimes you're not sure what to write about and you can write about, not knowing what to write about and knowing about it. <laughs> so, you know, if you really ask so, and you really want to write something, yeah, you can go you know, I don't know what to write about now. I'm searching for something new. <laughs> well, you know what? That's actually, uh, again, it's a concept and a moment of inspiration. It's acknowledgement, isn't it? Wow. Mm. Look at where I am. Look, look you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand what's taking place at this, at this point. Um, I wrote a song which is a, a similar title to a, a popular song, but a different theme, but the song was called Change Is Gonna Come. And it was on the idea, again, it was written along the same times I wrote Better Times. So those songs were written in, in one period of, of time. Mm. Um, and they were all songs of, of, me, of expectation, of hope, because the truth is I didn't, I wasn't there. You know, I, I was in a place I didn't understand. And I think being able to write about where you're at and the fact that you're you're confused or you're not sure or you're uncertain is a way of exercising your demons too, you know. Because we part of the reason why we write is to, is to give ourselves relief from yeah. from how we're thinking and feeling, and to be able to put it on paper, you know, uh, dancers can dance it away, actors can put it in, you know, in a performance, and and songwriters put it in their words. That's how we deliver ourselves, and I think it's massively important that we acknowledge where we're at um, because I also believe our songs and I, I, I guess I learned this from gospel music I don't believe that those songs are there for nothing I think somebody's going to be served by that experience you're writing about and it could be could be 50 years down the, down the line that somebody hears the lyrics to a song and think oh my goodness I'm still hearing songs now that are making me go wow Look at Emily. I heard a Curtis Mayfield song, which was written when he was with the Impressions, which is way back in the late fifties and early sixties. Um, and I, I've just got it. I've had it on repeat for two days constantly. <laughs> the, the lyrics are just blowing me away. You know what I mean? I'm thinking he, the, the guy's dead and gone, right? But his song is still inspiring me. 
you know, what I've just discovered. So yeah, well, absolutely, we should be not afraid of right putting those experiences down and and also not it, it, songwriting is exposure as well. When I say exposure, in that you're actually bearing your soul. We're all a little bit tender that way, you know. <laughs> I don't want the whole world to know that I've got a broken heart. Hey, hey we've been right. That's been written about from the beginning of the time. Hey, you're not on your own. There's a whole line of us with broken hearts constantly writing them songs. <laughs> That's it. It's definitely it's added comfort in there. Like whatever experience Absolutely. you're going through, someone else will relate to that. And like, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Good stuff. Right, we're moving uh, into the last part now. Sure, this is where I ask my guests to share with us a song that's meaningful to them relating to bereavement in some way. And what I do here is I put the link in the description to this podcast. So if you're listening to it, you're not familiar with the song, you click that link, you can go and have a listen and come back and we're going to have a chat about it. So uh, what song have you chosen for us, Cleve? Well, um, Arlo Black's a, a, a musician who I've come across when I first... Um, heard a, a song of his it was that song i need a dollar and uh actually it was a time where i was busking a lot so it became one of my favorite <laughs> busking songs. And, and what used to get me was the kids used to respond to it all the time they would come from school like they, they all come and chuck a penny you know like yeah they get me from school kids now man. so he, he he got my attention he's and he, i think he's an amazing songwriter he's got some incredible songs but more by chance and again tied in with the swan uh, uh song project it was a friend of mine Whose, whose mother was terminally ill and he'd, he was telling me about this song and he was saying, oh, there's a song I want to sing, you know, but he said, I want to record it for my mum, you know. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's really cool, man. So he'd uh, uh, sent me this link and I heard the song and I heard the, uh, like an original version of the one I heard. Just absolutely blew me away because of the concept of how it was written. So again, I was saying to you earlier, you know, you can look at an idea and explore it by now. And it was so, it was, for me, it was mind-blowing that the, the idea that from the start of life, somebody's holding our hands to come through. But at some point in that journey, a switch happens. Mm. And the person who, who's holding your hand, you end up holding their hand. And I went through that with mom, similar circumstances. And when I heard this song, the, the story of how it's written, so it goes from, you know, the childhood kind of to the end, you know, I think there's maybe three or four verses, but beautifully scripted, well really, and, and really, for me, if I was going to share the journey with a young person or a child about how I would explain the transition of from life to death. I would use that song and break it down as an example in a story and I would explain mm -hmm. it. That to me is what really won me over with that song. It was, it was a pure, honest journey which all of us experienced at some point because somebody held our hand to bring us into this world and the odds are we're going to be holding their hand when they go out. That's a beautiful way of describing it, Clay. I really love the idea of using that as an example of how you'd explain it to a child. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a very cleverly written song. I love it when, when artists can do that, where, you know, take, take the, you know, the phrase, the chorus, and then, like, the context around it, what the verses give. So, yeah, the examples, this mama hold my hand, isn't it? Yeah. And the first one's at a child and saying, mama hold my hand. And then there's the oh, verse where he's older when you're a bit rebellious and doesn't want to say mama yeah, hold my absolutely. hand. absolutely. And, yeah. and we've all yeah. been there, you know, we, we've absolutely all been there. And it's incredible that 
you know, you say that he's written it with that concept, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, getting to the end where then it's, you know, when his mum's older and frailer and, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautifully written song. It's a beautiful concept. And I love song. I mean, Aloe Black's a fairly young man, isn't he? Certainly when he, when he wrote yeah, that yeah, song, just, and like yeah. having that kind of perspective on life as a whole and projecting into the future. And, oh, it was amazing because, like I said, my friend who, who was going to record this song, he asked me to play the music. So I basically just replayed the music and he sang, he sang over it. But the whole idea was it was his mum. And he was saying that there's, I couldn't think of a more perfect way of summing up that journey, you know? And I, like I said to you, to me, having looked at it, and I worked in a special school uh, for a while where, where life wasn't guaranteed for, you know, some of those young people. It really, again, opened up that world and making me think, yeah, wow, there's, there's a transition here. And, and, and being, able to tie, uh, being able to kind of uh, put yourself in that position where, like you said, from the beginning, you're the baby, then, you know, later on in life, I, you know, I remember becoming that rebellious young man, you know what I mean? I never thought I was a bad guy, but I just remember, like, I don't want to hear what you have to say, you know, <laughs> just, ah, that's where I'm at, you know, and then, you know, it's so crazy, because, you know, I, my mum's passed in Dolan now, and, and I, remember, I was going to share this with you, I remember, I, I'm, I'm a professional artist, and I could not complete a song at my mum's funeral, mm. right? because what I realised was, the well of emotion that came in, was made, and it was a song that she used to sing to me when I was a kid, right? And it was, when I look at the lyrics of that song, it was a really old song, it was like a song about kind of passing over. But when it came to, to be able to sing it, I, the emotions were just way too emotional. I remember thinking, wow, I sing at other people's funerals. I do, you know, yeah. it's for lots of different reasons. And yet still the person who was closest to me in that way, I could manage it. There's no way I could manage it. And hence at that point, I was still saying, Mum, hold my hand because I can't finish this song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. Yeah, I, mean, I can imagine that. Yeah, I mean, I, I played at other people's funerals, but playing at a funeral with someone so close to you, like, yeah, it's, it's, a yeah. it's a different kettle of fish. Totally different. Totally yeah. different. But yeah, I think it's beautiful. Um, what you were saying about about the song for your friend, for his relationship with his mum, it's kind of goes back to what you were saying as well about finding, you know, what you want to say in someone else's song and how often that happens. and. Um, did your friend say what it was like playing it for his mum, uh, the recording? Was it after well, she died that you did it? Yeah, it? so he recorded it before she died, but he didn't play it, he didn't play it obviously till, you know, at a funeral. Oh, okay. But he actually, it was a smart move because he said the same thing to me. He said, it was better for me to record it because I was nowhere I could sing it at the funeral. Mm. And, and actually he taught me something there, thinking, ooh, actually preparing, which again, meeting you, through some of these things into that light is the idea of preparing for something mm. in front of us, which is ine inevitable. But like I said, the amount of emotion that's involved at the time you have to deal with it, it's just a little bit too, too much, you know? Yeah. So, and it's a, yeah. it's a lot to put on yourself in terms of like, you know, you've all, the, the strain of dealing with something like that emotionally is, is enough of a challenge to then have to be using your skill set. Yeah. yeah, it's a completely different skill set, and yeah, like absolutely. And, and and there's a lesson that I can say I can I learned valuably there was, I, I I would say to you, I told you I'm a performer. In most circumstances, I can go somewhere, no matter how difficult it is, uh, and I can go and do a job. I know that. But they, like I said, I do, I didn't account for the well of emotion uh, that was involved there, and that was really the the part that really kind of you know made me realize, wow, actually something that you're doing here is an incredible way of, you know, 
regards of, of communicating something whilst we, whilst we don't have to overload the emotions at that point, you know, to be able to, to be able to do it. And I think uh, the fact that you're creating opportunity uh, for, for both parties, if you want to look at it that way, to be able to, you know, to reach out. And it's just absolutely amazing. I think it's really, really beautiful. Like I said, I had to learn that lesson. And it's that thing of hearing that song made me realize what well, this, this is a journey. And, and, and it's how the journey starts, how the journey ends are, are all encapsulated in that, in that one song, in how I see it. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful song, man. Thanks for sharing it with us, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Always a pleasure. Okay, we had a slight technical problem there, but we're back now. Cleve <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was just saying some nice things about Swan Song, so thank you for them, Cleve, before we got, we got cut off. Um, we're just about reaching the end of the podcast anyway, but I just wanted to, uh, before we go, thank you again for your time, Cleve. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and I always... Uh, really like your perspective on music and the benefits of it and how it brings people together and it's always nice to talk to you about such things um before we go is there anything that you you've got co yeah, got coming up that you'd like to mention where people can check you out i'll tag all your pages and stuff in the description so people can follow you but anything particular people can catch you at yeah this um so on friday the 23rd of october um i'll be at um uh, a hotel bar uh salon privy which is um in dakota which is on Russell Street in Leeds. Okay. Um, I'll be playing an early sort of evening gig, um, five thirty to seven fifteen. Um, so if you if you've had to finish work on Friday and you don't fancy going straight home, you want a, <laughs> a couple of drinks before you maybe get off home or something like that. Um, it'd be a great time. I'm I do like playing there, but I also like the fact that it's early enough in the evening. Mm people to, to, to be able to, because quite often as you get towards the end of the night, just naturally with the with the sale of alcohol and all those things, the, your balance and your vibe in a gig can change, but there is something quite different about playing early evening. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little sense of expectation, a sense of relief that people have finished work maybe and that's it for the weekend or whatever it is, you know? So um, I'll be playing that Salon Privy, which is part of the Dakota Hotel and Bar Chain. Um, on Russell Street in Leeds from 5.30 till 7.15. There are uh, other gigs that will pop and will come up occasionally. There's the Taylor's Gin Bar, which is in the Grand Arcade. There's also the Domino uh, Bar, which is also a regular place where we're, we're beginning to play again now. So um, it begins to, it's feeling like there is more things going on music mm. in general. And I'm so pleased for the musicians who many of them have been on hold, you know, during this time. And there's been a lot of uncertainty around our, our industry and our art, um, and still is. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for better times, my friend. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Good stuff. Nice, nice way to finish it. And you also do a lot of busking, don't you? So people might catch you around Leeds City Centre. Oh, you'll catch me in Leeds City Centre in Bradford, Huddersfield, um, Wakefield occasionally. Um, I really, I mean, the, the one thing I will say, if you don't know it's me, you will definitely hear me before you see me. That's an absolute guarantee. You'll know, I know that voice from somewhere. But yeah, I, I do believe, and I'm going to continue doing that as long as uh, our, our councils and our governments uh, don't say that we can't. Then for me, that's an important thing. It's uh, The gatherings on the streets now are immense when people see musicians playing. And I've witnessed that with other people 
as well as with myself. It's, it's, it's a game changer right now. And I think any musician who is wondering about their worth and their soul in, in this environment and while we're going through these circumstances, take, take your stuff to the streets. You'll see the difference there. Great stuff. Great advice. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, Cleve. It's always a pleasure, man. And uh, hopefully we'll get to meet up in, in person again soon and have, have a sing. I hope so too. And thank you. And uh, I, I just want to say again, amazing project. Really, really glad that you carried on doing this, mate. I am. Right. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate the support. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'll be back with another episode soon.